Hello and welcome to another episode of the Engineers Collective, brought to you from the safety of lockdown here in the UK. As the country begins to get back to work over the next few weeks and months, we continue to send the entire civil engineering sector our best wishes in these strange and unprecedented times. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems. Around the world, engineers and architects, constructors and owner-operators are using Bentley software solutions to accelerate project delivery and improve asset performance for the infrastructure that sustains our economy and our environment. Together, we are Advancing Infrastructure. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Engineers Collective. I'm Claire Smith and I'm editor on New Civil Engineer and I'm joined today by our features editor Nadine Badu. Hi there. Hello. And today we're to- joined by Amy Principal Engineer Steve Tilby and WSP Director Simeon Butterworth to talk about one of the really positive things that's come out of the coronavirus pandemic. The political will and the public urge to get walking and cycling rather than using public transport or hopping into our cars. Steve works in the Traffic and Transportation Department at the One Trafford Partnership, which is a collaboration between Trafford Council and Amy. He has had a long career in traffic engineering from pedestrianising Liverpool City Centre to introducing decriminalised parking enforcement and also leading on the delivery of the capital programme. While working for Amy as part of the One Trafford Partnership, he is currently managing a large team to deliver the capital programme and the Mayor's Challenge Fund across the borough of Trafford. And Simeon is a client and business development director for WSP in the local government sector. Over the last few months, Simeon has been supporting WSP's active travel experts to share innovations and lessons learned across the firm's client base to help the emergency active travel fund applications for Tranche 1 and more recently Tranche 2. WSP is currently working alongside 20 clients from across the UK on both temporary and permanent schemes. So welcome to you both. So since we first planned this discussion the government's advice has changed and we're now free to use public transport for non-critical journeys but many people see the pandemic as a real opportunity to change people's travel habits. It's also seen the phrase pop-up shift from being used to limited time restaurants and shops to being applied to infrastructure as well as as local authorities look to increase space available to pedestrians and cyclists. But how do we get the mindset that existed during lockdown to continue as measures are eased? That's one of the questions we're going to be looking at today, as well as how government funding is being spent to promote walking and cycling, particularly following the recent announcements from government regarding walking and cycling strategies. The government commitment to a shift in walking and cycling was made clear during the height of the pandemic when Transport Secretary Grant Shapps announced a £250 million emergency active travel fund. Some of that was existing spending from a £5 billion commitment made in February, but the first tranche of funding has already been allocated and the second is about to be handed out with potentially more to come. At the end of last month, plans for £2 billion of that funding was also unveiled, with a focus on embedding cycling in culture in everyday life and plans to improve the standard of infrastructure delivered for cyclists too. So we're still looking at what that announcement really means and how we move on from what was described as pop-up to semi-permanent and perhaps even permanent infrastructure. But before we talk about what's coming up, let's explore what's been done so far. So Steve, you've been working in Trafford to deliver pop-up schemes. Can you tell us a bit about the kind of infrastructure you've put in place? At the start of the, the COVID funding, we installed a variety of measures on the highway to assist uh, social distancing. Following the, the introduction of the smaller measures, uh, a brave decision was taken by Traffic Council to attempt to introduce cycling facilities along part of the A56. Um, the A56 is, a, is a, the main spine road that runs through Trafford. Um, and links the M56 to Manchester City Centre. 
Um, this was a, a major undertaking um, to attempt to do such such a measure on a temporary basis. Um, we had a very short window of opportunity to introduce the scheme. Um, we had the site analysed and a potential scheme and a programme of measures for implementation developed within a week. So was it difficult to get agreement on what was needed and where? Treatment of the A56 was agreed and had received political support, together with the backing of the Transport for Greater Manchester. To minimise disruption, a phased approach was adopted and it was essential that we brought the people of Trappers along with us and kept them aware of developments. This was achieved by putting items out on social media, press releases and signage along the route. So what's the reaction of the local community been to the changes? Following the phased rollout of the cycle facilities, it has been quite rewarding to receive the level of support that has been gained so far from the people of Trafford. Overall, there have been far more positive comments than negatives relating to the, the cycle lanes introduced to date. And Simeon, you've been working with a number of local authorities on similar schemes. Is the kind of infrastructure you've been helping with similar to that used in Trafford? Yeah, we've... As we mentioned earlier, at WSP, we've been working with a number of our local authority clients from across the UK, which which gives us a good range and blend of areas. In in terms of the types of schemes that we've been looking at from a tranche one perspective, it, it does seem relatively similar to, to what's been implemented and is being developed in Trafford. And, and it doesn't surprise me in that the DFT were quite explicit in their um, I think it was first mentioned in their local transport restart letter that came out in May and the type of measures that they would support for tranche one. And so, it, it yeah, from predominantly it's a, it's a range of introduction of point closures, in, you know, in residential areas, looking at reallocation of road space on key routes and corridors and introduction of a lot of 20 mile an hour zones and, and just general programs to encourage walking and cycling. And I think the the exciting thing now is is how that now translates into the the type of schemes that we will see clients and we are working with clients now in terms of how they're promoting their tranche two schemes and this expectation from the DFT that you know encouraging um, local authorities to be to be bold and ambitious with their proposals and and seeing how that materialises is going to be really interesting because it's going to have to be done at pace, which I'm sure we'll pick up on later. Yeah, I'm sure we'll come back to that. But what is it that's actually changed within local authorities to make them more open to this kind of change? And is it the temporary nature of the proposals, or do you think there's a longer-term alteration of perception for these schemes? I guess um, the... I, I think the ability to trial schemes and test the public's appetite for change has definitely helped in some areas. Um, it's a bit of a free swing to a certain degree um, because these things can inevitably the introduction of any type of infrastructure or scale does come as Steve pointed out with with objections locally and you can't please everybody all of the time but I I do genuinely think it does vary by authority as well I mean I I guess the availability of funding has supported a bit of a step change in the mentality and perhaps accelerated um, previous views on how they could implement infrastructure to support climate emergency plans um, but it it'd be unfair to say that authorities weren't previously looking 
um, in this direction. A lot of the ones that we've been working with um, and in our partnerships with have quite advanced through their active travel LC WIP programs and, and those that are successful as well with the Transforming Cities Fund. Um, so I, I think whilst it's accelerated um, and focused attention that there was there has always been interest it's just yeah it's it's stimulated it which is which is great would you agree with that steve yeah i think um there's not a great deal i can add to that other than to say that it's an opportunity as simeon said it, it, councils can sort of bring very quickly again which we'll come on to later forward some of the ideas um that we've had that have not had the the desire to introduce or some of for some of the concern really that some of them may not be welcomed but it is an opportune moment to trial something to see whether it works to see what um the community how the community embraces it and to if it's welcomed introduce it as a permanent feature if it isn't very swiftly um remove it so it is a a great opportunity to put in place a lot of ideas that a lot of councils have had and obviously the case of pointers in trafford where it was a big step to take to to try and tackle congestion pollution um, and make cycling and walking safer along the a56 and so can you take me through kind of what have been the main challenges and obstacles to the work so far yeah, the the overall, I think, is, is down to time. I think we'll come across this uh, over and over again throughout the discussion today. I think from one, we, we got advised that this money from moving from the COVID-19 uh, funding through to tranche one and tranche two, it is just down to the time scale. So clearly, um, it was trying to get th- something in quick. We developed the proposals um, for a phased approach to the A56 um, within a, a matter of days. Um, we also got our um, temporary works contracted on site within the week to start introducing the first sections of, of the A56. Clearly, I've been able to act quickly has been something that's really helped us because as we look now, as we're moving on towards... Uh, starting to put T1 and T2 in, um, the availability of materials um, is starting to play a major part in our abilities to deliver to the time frame that um, that we that has been placed upon us. In that event, you know, we we've not long um, got advice of the the monies that we've secured for tranche one. We're already ordering as soon as we got awarded, the equipment that we felt we wouldn't be necessary. So we've got all those measures in place to make sure that the, the flow of materials is available to us as and when we get to that position. So it, it's about reacting really, really quick to, to, to the challenge that, that we're all faced with. And Simeon, is there anything else you'd like to add in terms of the challenges you faced? I think it's just reiterating it is the pace of this and whilst understanding the necessity of that pace, given that this is about providing alternative means of travel to public transport during during the pandemic, 
um, it has that has been um, in a resource constrained environment for local authorities who are, are focused on economic recovery plans a, a real challenge and I think thankfully the DFT did a good job with the tranche one pro forma in in that it was relatively simple and low maintenance compared to um, previous pro formas for alternative funding streams that I have seen so that 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 was great um, but yeah it has it has been the pace of it and I suppose those authorities who already had the LC whips developed they definitely had a head start so those that didn't um, that that challenge was even more pronounced and they, they had to really stand start from a standing start and understand where to target the investment engage politically uh, and doing all that and continuing to do that for the tranche two timescales is in double quick time is is um yeah is, is proving is proving a challenge and so what are the key lessons you've both learned during this initial application of the new strategies i mean i i would suggest everyone's still learning and, and kind of learning on the hoof as we go um i think Steve's proposals from a traffic perspective are, seem to be really quite well advanced. But I think for, from my perspective, the, the lessons are political support has been essential. Um, if you're going to get schemes up and running at the pace required, um, making sure you're engaged and that you've got that backing it, it is key. Otherwise, things can, can unravel pretty quickly and understandably so. Um, I think another lesson from the... The outcome of the allocations from tranche one um, would be to, to, I think the DFT have been quite explicit in their expectations around the type of schemes um, and those who followed that in tranche one seem to have done pretty well. Those that perhaps veered off course um, have, have not necessarily received the allocations that were initially um, highlighted. So that's that's certainly something to, to bear in mind over the next next couple of weeks to make sure that everything does adhere to that to that guidance and, and avoids that risk of not securing the 100% allocations um, I, I think the the more strategic schemes that's that's going to be interesting as well and um, and bring with it different different challenges really and um, from a lessons learned perspective but from yeah just just, just from oh, sorry. No, no, you go on Steve uh, just to add to that, really, it's, and and just to reiterate those points, the the main one clearly has got to be political. You've got to have that political will. Um, and as we we move into tranche one and we start to do some things in the communities, we'll, we'll, that will be tested, no doubt. Um, but to enable us to make sure that we're doing um, a good job that everybody wants, it's it's about trying to get the engagement. Um, underway as quickly as possible to try and make sure that we can deal with any of the issues that may arise quite swiftly before clearly um, we've got to get everything in by sort of the 18th of September that um, we can get things in as fast as we can and again the, the, the speed that which we're able to work um, we are working at a pace that I've never um, worked that in my whole career and I've been around a while now so it's a matter of trying to do it do it well do it quickly it's it's a challenge and I think I, just just to add to that I think as the tranche two scheme schemes come on online I mean obviously the mantra is be ambitious but with ambition 
inevitably it points towards more complex schemes than the, the tranche one temporary measures. So the, there's clearly going to be a lot of additional challenges around integration with the public transport network and, and the wider transport network um, and, and making sure there are um, detailed a detailed understanding of the risks associated with the schemes, the scheme costs, uh, land considerations. Do, doing all these things at pace um, is is going to be um, it's going to be a busy period, busy summer ahead for people. And the DFT keep changing the mind. <laughs> always handy. But I guess the amount of people actually using the infrastructure is always going to be a measure of success. Steve, do you have any data about the usage of the Trafford schemes? Um, prior to introducing the works, again, coming back to, to the issue of speed, um, we didn't have a great deal of data on cycle usage along the, the, the A56. However, we're, we're rectifying that now. And again, as a result of the, the overall support that um, we have within Trafford for embracing some of these measures, um, there's been a lot of cycling that's occurring on the, the A56. Um, to reiterate, really, that it is something that people will, will need. And you do, I mean, it is nice. In our field, it's very rare that you get congratulatory emails. But some of the, you know, the, the, some of the, the correspondence that we're getting is identifying that it, it really is assisting people in, in, on their commute getting into Manchester. It's making a massive difference. And it's making a massive difference to people that do this day in, day out. So it's not a drop in the ocean. It is, it is making a difference, and that's nice to know. That's great to hear, isn't it? So, Sim, is the lack of previous data a challenge for clients you're working with as well? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a common issue that we're, we're coming across. In, in an ideal world, all authorities would have um, available count and survey data to, to support the implementation and development of the schemes, but... but this isn't a proven, proven to be the case across the board, which isn't a huge surprise. I mean, it is more of an issue for walking than cycling. And and obviously with us being in the middle of a pandemic, our ability to actually go out there um, and accurately get new data that, that, refl- that reflects, well, that, that provides what we need is, is, is not possible. It's interesting that the, the DFT's monitoring evaluation guidance landed this morning i've not had a chance to look at that but that'll be an interesting read but i i think our advice to our clients has been making best use of what available data and toolkits there are out there and um, you know obviously sources like the um, census data journey to work data and um, the propensity to cycle toolkit has been useful and um also the the dft for tranche one did highlight the use of the rapid cycleway prioritization tool uh, as a good way to have a have a look at demand um, quickly for for temporary schemes so i think it's it, it's yeah the lack of data has been a challenge but it's about like i say um, finding what you can and making best use of it so, Steve, what you've done so far in Greater Manchester has clearly been successful. What advice would you give to other local authorities looking to emulate what you've delivered? I think it's a, it's about being brave. You know, be, be ambitious, be brave, and don't be afraid of trying to do things a little bit differently. 
Um, again, you know, if we have political support, th there's an opportunity there to to do something that potentially has a the benefit of making a, a big change to, to to people's lives, and especially with some of the issues that we've faced, we've been able to to resolve a lot of issues that encourages people not only on the daily commute but also to get out and visit some of the locations in Trafford as a family. It, so it, it really is quite quite satisfying to know that some of the the issues that you've you've resolved, the, the problems that you've dealt with and the, the the facilities that you've put in place do have that impact on day-to-day -day people. So yeah, it's been very very rewarding so far. <laughs> Simon, what other advice would you give to look to council looking to get involved in this kind of change? Um, it's a good question. Um, well, I think a lot of a lot of authorities have a have a proud cycling and active travel tradition. Really, I mean, I'm thinking you know the the Yorks of this world um, jump out, and of course, of course, London. Um, and, and Cambridge, of course, you can't go to Cambridge University without seeing bikes everywhere. <laughs> and Cambridge, you can't. Sorry, sorry, I'm I'm showing my northern roots and preference there for York, but yeah, um, but yeah, I think. And there's also obviously the the TCF programs under development across the UK. But I I, I think um, it's about having a long term plan and a strategy that has strong political buy in. I mean, we've touched on that earlier, and I think. Um, with with the leadership and and the cycling czars, I think, and the use of those, the Chris Boardsmans of this world has, has really helped pull that together and give you know give it a voice. Um, so I think I think that approach has really worked around being proactive about how you engage with communities and you use individuals with profiles to support that and promote the vision. Um, inevitably, you know, supporting that hearts and minds offensive. Um, I think that also engagement is key. It's making sure you fully understand the needs of the end user. There's there's no point putting something in place that's nice and shiny, but no one then wants to use it. It's got to meet a need. Um, I I guess from a from a delivery perspective, from what we're seeing um, around our client base is, is try and treat this as a program, not a bunch of individual schemes, and 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 obviously that brings with it efficiencies and consistency it allows you to engage earlier with contractors and you've just got a, a more consistent design vision which is recognizable across the program um but i think the big the big challenge that a number of clients seem to be wrestling with more more recently um is how to align it with the the wider network and in particular public transport uh, and, and making sure as well that you consider cross-boundary issues and you you don't just promote schemes in glorious isolation from your neighbours. It, it obviously, um, it, it makes sense where possible to make sure that these things join, join up and have um, cross-boundary benefits. And so can you tell us a bit about what's next? What have you both applied for under tranche two of the funding and how do the projects developed under this tranche differ from the first one? Um, initially, um, the tranche one and tranche two, there's been a bit more of a of a shift towards um, modal filters and trying to to segregate um, through traffic from passing through re uh, residential estates. I mean, at the part we we undertook a survey um, 
very early on, uh, Safer Streets Save Lives. Um, and we had a, you know, a, a survey and a heat map up where people could put down their, their concerns. We had over 3,000, I think it was 3,300 um, comments identifying a, a range of issues, but a lot of it, you know, relating to people moving at speed, moving through local um, estates and creating a little bit of uh, a bit of a nuisance for the people who live there. So we've, 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 in, we've recommended um, a lot more modal filters, a lot of public engagement and also alongside a diff, um, other pop-up measures uh, to assist cycling on the approaches to, to the A56 um, and other linkages. I think as we move across towards Trans 2, there's been a one or two more larger area-wide um, projects that we're considering um, and also sort of, sort of like pop-up, no, not necessarily pop-up, but sort of like modal filters with seating and a bit more of a, an environmental feel for it so people can get out get out and about and talk to people children can play where where obviously the the the, the highway network allows us to, to 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 introduce that so again it's it's been a little bit innovative in what we're proposing um and hopefully if we've done our job right we'll get the the community support and we'll move forward with a lot of them and for you, Simeon? So, uh, yeah, I mean, from based on what Steve said there, I would agree that there does seem to, from the DFT, been a suggestion, really, that um, interventions for Tranche 2 should be, be more focused by corridor or, or on an individual town basis. So, so there is some um, geographic, geographical synergy there. I think, again, the DFT have been pretty prescriptive, to be honest, in terms of their expectations around the type of schemes that they're going to expect to see in the tranche two um, applications. So to a certain degree, that does that does limit um, variation. But th there is, again, as, as Steve alluded to, a strong focus on segregation, reallocation of road space, um, consideration of permanent measures. And, and there's this, um, obviously, we've referred to it before, this challenge to be ambitious. So... Um, that's that that's great um, but obviously there's 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 difficulty in how do you define ambition and obviously that's a direct correlation to the amount of funding you, you've actually got to play with so um some authorities are by you know the their ability to have access and hopefully draw down on greater sums of money do have an ability to be more ambitious others don't so it'd be be interesting i, I suspect that will um pretty obvious really that 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 will have a direct link through to the type and scale and complexity of what's put forward and do you know if all local authorities are taking the same kind of approach or are there regional differences i mean personally i i mean look working across the uk where no noticeable regional trends um i think the the process is pretty prescriptive um i think um, when I say regional trends um different authorities are inevitably approaching it in different ways but I, I think it's back to an earlier point. It it depends to a certain degree where those authorities are in terms of political support for active travel. I think that rather than regional trends, I think um, that's more of an indicator or more of a, a way in which um, variations will occur. Whether strong political support for active travel, 
there's a lot of authorities Devon springs to mind who were quick out of the traps and they, they've implemented schemes at pace and and don't seem like they want to let up um, other authorities less so so I think it's it's more um, rather than any regional variation I think it's more boils down to the political support for active travel locally. So the second tranche of funding has come very quickly after the first. Has it been quite a challenge to get the infrastructure planned, agreed and signed off for funding in such a short space of time? Oh, hugely, yes. I mean, um, we're, the tranche two came so fast on, on the tail of, of tranche one that we are in the process now of actively uh, engaging with the community on tranche one. Um, but as I, I mentioned earlier, we are we've got a, a a good idea of what we are wishing to do as part of tranche two so we will also be starting to speak to suppliers um and i think that they're aware that authorities are in this position so that we'll try and get some orders out or where we aren't ordering just yet to to advise them that this is likely to occur in the not too distant future aligned with tranche two and you know have that dialogue um with our contractors to 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 make them understand the position so that we can try and deliver it seamlessly we we can't afford really to have major hiccups especially as we we try to do things a little bit more complex um but tranche two we've got a little bit more time end of the financial year there's a little bit easier he says but tranche one is is a, is a major challenge we might have to check back with you on how well tranche two went a bit later but Simon, have you experienced similar challenges with this pace yeah i mean for the second tranche like you say coming so quickly after the first um i it's very much a live issue and and i've got numerous colleagues up and down the UK in the same boat as Steve, who are very much working around the clock, and you know it's a heroic effort at the moment, which which is great to see. Um, but it does reflect it does reflect the challenge that that we're facing. Um, I, I think there's a lot more moving parts with the um, tranche two schemes in terms of um, the more larger and complex, more issues around design considerations. Um, scheme costs, maintain, ongoing maintenance costs, uh, and I I think getting those through political approvals in such a short space of time is it's it's near on impossible if you're doing it from a standing start, and and that those people taking the decisions are unfamiliar with the schemes that you're talking about. Um, I think bringing something to the table which is completely new um, and of a large scale and moving that through the political approval process in line with these tranche two timescales, I, I would I would label that as tricky at best. Um, and I, I think that if if schemes weren't, in, even if in their infancy in, in sort of pre-pandemic pipelines, um, you, you're going to struggle, my observation would be to, to get this through. Um, inevitably, authorities will get nervous once the section 151 officer has to sign off on schemes if there's not been a thorough consideration of scheme costs and risks because the the, the dft will not underwrite any overspend so there's that those practical 
practicalities and considerations to, to factor into this. So, um, yeah, it's 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 definitely getting things signed off in such a short space of time. Yeah, I mean, I I would point to the fact that if if schemes aren't already in some way, shape, or form have been socialised politically and have some support and have been developed in to a to a certain level, then it, then that process is significantly challenging and tricky. So does this speak also create challenges of getting communities engaged with what you're doing? Um, I mean, it, it, I think as we all know in the field that we work in, um, bringing the community along with us um, is key to, to the success of what we do. I refer back to the, the survey that we undertook at the start of um, the works and the support we've got. So the the information that we're taking forward um, in tranche one and tranche two is, is based upon the comments coming from the community, which theoretically should give us a better approval rate going forward because these are locations that... Currently, it's a, we're advised, have particular problems um, for a variety of reasons. So the solutions that we, we can put in um, are in, in line with, um, with these comments. So, yeah, it's, I think that, that makes it a lot easier to have that data to, to to move from I think if we were moving from a standing start that would be a lot more work because again as we come back to the data you know it's not very often that you go and do this type of work without having some sound data to move from but the time the time frames involved don't really allow that so get it right with the community and that hopefully will lead to um, success we will see what about you, Simon? Have you had similar engagement challenges, or has it gone well? Well, I think I, I think one of the successes of of Tranche One has been, um, and pardon the plug, but the a lot of authorities have gone with the um, commonplace community engagement platform, which I think has helped given the situation we find ourselves in as a result of the pandemic it's it's enabled it's not 100 percent replaced the quality of traditional engagement um, and being able to get out there in the communities uh, and, and obviously face-to-face engagement is always going to be the preference but it, it has helped I, I guess the the challenge has been in some instances some of our clients there's just the sheer volume of responses that have come back on the um via the platform and as steve alluded to the heat map side of things has been incredibly useful to see where there is there's clearly a strength of will to to implement change and, and supportive of of subsequently using any facilities that are introduced um so yeah success story in terms of finding a way but i think the challenge has been cutting through the noise of the volume of responses um but ultimately i think going forward um traditional ways in which to engage with the community are, are still are still something that are going to need to be as, as steve points it's good you've got to be proactive you've got to take people with you otherwise it, it will inevitably catch up with you so will there be further tranches of funding and how could the projects delivered under those streams look different 
Um, I think there there is definitely going to be um, additional funding in this area in the future. I, I think it, in Greater Manchester, we've got the, the Mayor's Challenge Fund already, which is, looks at improvements to cycling, walking um, across GM. And again, we've uh, looking at innovation in relation to uh, the methods that we're, we're recommending. So that has already prepared us in some way to the challenges um, that we're now facing in tranche one and tranche two. It would be wrong of me to suggest that we actually knew that we were going to be in a pandemic, so we prepared ourselves early. But um, no, the, the MERS Challenge Fund has put us in a position where we've um, got ourselves uh, well prepared to look at improving um, our highways to the benefit of cycling and walking and also ensuring that that uh, a 12-year-old child could cycle along um, the majority of our routes. And Simeon, is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, well, I think you mentioned it earlier that Grant Shapps came out and announced um, a golden era for active travel. And I think, you know, the two billion headline obviously grabs the attention, but it that is the type of investment that is required. And, you know, Steve's alluding to the the B network across Manchester and the Mayoral Challenge Fund and, and the significant amounts of money that's going to be required to, to deliver those. So a, additional government funding and additional tranches of funding is is a necessity. Otherwise, this will just be a, a novel flash in the pan and we'll look back post-pandemic at um, do you remember when and um, be using phrases like what could have been rather than, um, you know, the step change that has been talked about. And it's it's the opportunity isn't it and the funding's got to be made available to to drive that interest and to drive that support locally um so it's it's difficult to say um what what that will look like but i i would i would certainly say it's 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 a necessity around and continuing with the momentum and i noticed today there was the government's announcement around vouchers and that could perhaps point to the next tranches of funding might be have an element not necessarily not necessarily 100% focused towards it but be less focused towards capital infrastructure and, and might be more around travel planning and you know revenue funding for bike schemes e-bike schemes things of that nature just to really encourage usage as opposed to delivering infrastructure so it'd be interesting to see how that develops yeah so it is it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to to try and move the the cycling and the walking agenda forward um at a time where people are forced to try and look elsewhere and to maintain that momentum yeah i think if you've tried to buy a bike lately it's quite clear that people do want to cycle more because there's quite long wait times on buying adult bikes in most shops but how can we make sure that people continue to use and it's not just a short-term change and people revert back, particularly as we move into autumn and winter? It's great when it's summer, but um, when it's cold and wet, it's not so, not so nice, is it? OK, I mean, I, I would agree with that. It is, it's, first and foremost, it's great to see an increase in demand for and use uh, of active travel modes. Um, I mean, the, take people taking advantage of more favourable traffic conditions during lockdown and 
they're definitely supporting this. I think um, people perhaps who've been reluctant for safety reasons previously, um, that 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 fear has been taken away, which is great. But um, I think continuing to support that, not just from a, you know the traditional British weather, weather sorry, and everything that comes with that during autumn and winter. Um, I, I do think that um, we, we need to invest in supporting longer term behavioural change to kind of lock these benefits in. And But doing that is going to be a challenge. I think it's a combination of things, isn't it? It's um, it's the safety angle, segregated infrastructure on, on key corridors to, to help people you know, feel safe. It's prioritising the road space. It's integrating it with public transport. I, and I think it's also making it credible and probably more importantly affordable um you know that there are these schemes supporting people purchasing a bike but we need to be mindful that not everybody um has access to the to the same amount of income so it's making and supporting the affordability of it which i think is important as well yeah indeed i think um the the yeah as you've already said yes getting a bike at the moment is a little bit tricky um I think as part of the Mayor's Challenge Fund, we're also looking at uh, bike hire throughout uh, Greater Manchester, um, linking into an, a number of sites in in, in Trafford. And also, um, in the future, there's also the proposal to introduce some bike loan schemes. Um, so we'll wait and see, really, how that emerges. But I think it is, it is as we get towards the winter, as Simeon mentioned, that at the speaking to employers and really trying to get them to embrace what we're already trying to do on the network to provide uh, showers and facilities at the end of the journey so that you don't get there and you know you've got bits of clothing hanging around your desk in desk in work that's to say if we ever get back to the office but yeah, so you got you know good showers, good drying rooms. So when you come to go home, you haven't got to put wet stuff back on that you can get out there and off you go, and your bike's still in one piece. So I think there are a lot of changes that we can made, can make in the future, and certainly towards the the, I mean the start and the end of the journey. Clearly, we're doing a lot of work for the middle bit, but when we get to work, when we get our commute, being able to clean up, get dry makes a massive change and a massive sort of uh, mark of intent, really, to keep this moving forward. I used to work with another editor who used to be a keen cyclist and he used to have a manky towel he used to hang on the back of his chair. He used to say, I never saw him wash that towel in about three years I worked with him. So can you imagine what it'd be like if everybody was doing that? It'd be quite a... That'd be, that'd be the new normal. <laughs> And so, Simeon, are there any other areas that you think we should be looking at, you know, as well as, as Steve's already mentioned, things like kind of bike storage and showers for staff? You know, are there areas like, you know, for example, making it easier for cyclists to take their bikes onto trains or buses for intermodal kind of longer journeys? I mean, firstly, I think that, that yeah, absolutely. Um, more convenient journeys, better facilities. I, I guess I think we'd all share the view that most offices do struggle with the demand for cycle parking and that perhaps don't have the facilities we would all like and you wonder whether or not um you are seeing a lot of working from home um are employees going to need the amount of office space that they did pre-pandemic could they reallocate some of that space to better facilities um 
that might be something that we can take as a positive from this um, and, and reallocate that space. But yeah, I think um, making making uh, things available to support the connectivity to and from from the the middle part of the journey, as Steve alluded to, is is important. Um, the first mile, last mile of the journeys is is clearly something that that needs support. Um, I think embracing and encouraging non-traditional modes for shorter trips is also something that should be looked at. There are a lot of e-bike schemes now that um, are starting to emerge and obviously there's numerous e-scooter trials across the UK that are underway following the government's release of guidance. I think that was um, June. Um, So yeah, I think that all all those things need to be factored into the puzzle. Um, But I think my word of caution to, to people would be to avoid doing what we tend to do sometimes and that's drop straight into solution mode. I, I think we we do still need to continue to spend some time to focus on what the average user and commuter actually wants and how they view the problem. Because um, I think making sure that each, each area understands that and it will vary, but um, it's essential in order to put things in place that, that will continue to be. So most of the focus at the moment is on urban journeys. What can be done to ensure that rural communities also benefit? I mean, Simon, you mentioned you've done some work with Devon, Devon County Council recently. Yeah, and, and, we, and we've worked with a number of um, rural authorities, and it is, a tr- it is a tricky one. I mean, I think um, the way in which the Tranche 1 and 2 formula um, has been allocated was based on public transport journeys pre-COVID, um, and understandably aimed at transferring the maximum number of, of journeys from a public transport network that couldn't and can no longer at the current um, state of affairs run at, at previous capacity levels, but moving those journeys to active mode. So the, the, the outcome of that has resulted in um, a lot of more rural authorities having rather limited tranche one and tranche two allocations. So that, that means that, that it's a bit more tricky for them to introduce something as ambitious as as what Steve's alluded to in Manchester and what's happening in other areas that have got transforming city, cities fund allocations. So I, I think ultimately rural authorities are still wrestling with the same issue around encouraging walking and cycling trips for shorter journeys and making those safe um, and affordable. Uh, I, I think there's there's options for them and options for the government to to push more investment towards the traditional market towns and their LC WIP plans where they exist. Um, but speaking to colleagues on this the other day, that there there is a feeling that the introduction of e-bikes could be a game changer for rural mobility and the greater range that they provide um, might encourage people who traditionally have, have felt um, unable to, to use to use cycling to to undertake particular journeys that might that might um, change help change their mind and facilitate a change there so that's one to watch um, and I, I think the government um, looking to to support this um, could well be could well support a step change and the latest announcements from government set out plans for a new inspectorate to drive up standards in cycling infrastructure delivery. What kind of issues do you think such an inspectorate could look at? Well, currently, um, 
within GM, we've sort of already in that arena really, in that we we have the Mayor's Challenge Fund, um, which the, and the, and the the cycling commission, which is Chris Boardman, who's all already set out um, a set of guidelines that we should adhere adhere to, in association with um, leading consultants. Um, on cycling and walking so we've we've averted ourselves availed ourselves should say of a lot of training to make sure that we can now put in infrastructure that's not only up to standard that can but that can be used by not people that are just clad in lycra but for families going out and young children to also be confident that they can um they're not going to come across something that they can't navigate. So I think anything else over and above that would, would certainly be um, of assistance. And Simon, is there anything you want to add? Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I think, as Steve alludes to, it's the practical side of things, consistent design standards, um, materials, it's sharing best practice and lessons learned from across the UK. You know, if something works, uh, I mean, everywhere will, will want their own bespoke approach, but why, why not share lessons learned rather than trying to reinvent the wheel? Pardon the pun. But I, I, I guess, yeah, as well as with the physical infrastructure, it's what works with active travel campaigns, you know, what really chimes with with um, the people that you're actually trying to move across. And I, on, on to active travel and I think Steve raises a great point this is not just about the Lycra Brigade um, it is about making it accessible for all and um, you know families and I do like the 12 year old test I think that's very sensible um, and I think that's where you know having that kind of accessibility for all is going to really push demand up on on these networks um, I think other things as well, I mean, how best to integrate with public transport networks, engaging, using this this approach to engage with operators and really, really bring practitioners together in a sensible way um, would would make a lot of sense. And, and if this inspectorate can drive all of that conversation, then excellent. That'd be brilliant. So without naming any names, what are the common problems you've seen or fails you've seen on cycling infrastructure that's been delivered in the UK? What are, what are the main problems? Or maybe there aren't any. I think something that we've uh, referenced really is that you, you come across um, diff- different standards um throughout various authorities and even you know if you if you look at Trafford a lot of the infrastructure that we design and we implement is there for a long time and it is quite enlightening when you come and view locations um, that have been introduced in uh, as a key set of bit of infrastructure um in the late sort of 80s, early 90s, and you look at it now and you've got a, a little bit of uh, of shared cycle route o- along the footway with with lamp columns in, in the centre of it and bus stops. And it it just shows the development of, of thought and the effort that now is embraced when we introduce um, cycling routes and hopefully a lot of other infrastructure changes 
But yeah, I think what we're trying to, to, to draw together in, in Greater Manchester is a design standard that we all adhere to. So if you want to travel across different boroughs within GM, that you are seeing a similar system as you move forward. Although we do still tend to use different colour cycle lanes, but there you go. What about you, Simeon? What, what are the common problems you've seen? I, I think, um, and I'm, I'm given my role as a business development role, I'm definitely not going to name names. Um, I'm going to shy away from that and sit on the fence and apologise. But I guess the, the interesting thing for me is, is, is people often underestimate the complexity of these schemes to deliver. Um, you know, people see wrongly in my view cycling and walking schemes as, as simple um, in comparison to say your traditional highway schemes I, I think to a certain degree it, it's they're just as complicated it's just a complete not a completely different set of challenges and problems but um, there are there are certainly areas that are um, shouldn't be underestimated I think um, it was this morning and, and I can refer to it because the, the WST WSP team um, put my teeth back in and supported its development but the the DFT have just released the cycling infrastructure design guidance which has been um, pending for a few months now so that I think that that will help with what Steve is alluding to around consistent design standards because I would 100% agree that that seems to be something that has been that has been missing so hopefully that will bring everybody together and um, make sure that there is a there's a more consistent way of putting great facilities um, in play. That's great. Well, thank you both for joining us today. There's clearly a lot to think about and lots more to do in order to encourage people away from motorised transport and make a lifestyle change that really is permanent. In the meantime, we'll certainly be watching the development of the next tranche of projects with interest and keeping our fingers crossed that there's a tranche three, four and five too. Thank you, guys. Brilliant. Cheers. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems. With digital technology changing the way the world lives, it's time to apply digital technology on infrastructure projects to close the productivity gap with other industries. Bentley invites you to gauge your organization's progress by taking one of our digital assessments. Work with a partner you can trust and accelerate your pace of possible by going digital with Bentley at bentley.com forward slash going digital.